0: What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Tentacle Bot Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Gabe. And today what we're doing is we're actually gonna be breaking down the new At the Gates record titled The Nightmare of Being, which was released July 2nd of 2021, and that was actually released through Century Media Records. Um, for those who want to know is the band lineup is going to be Tomas Lindbergh on vocals. Um, and if I pronounce any of the names incorrectly, I do apologize. Um, we have Adrian Erlinson on drums. We have, and this is probably where I'm going to butcher it. Jonas Björler on bass. Honestly, that was pretty good. I, I, am thinking, I'm thinking <laughs> so as well. Martin Larson on rhythm guitar and then Jonas Stahlhammer on lead guitar um and honestly let's just dig right in man um uh, first impressions gabe what do you got so i've been a
1: casual at the gates fan mm-hmm. for some time um i found this album really enjoyable to listen to uh i enjoyed it more than to drink from the night itself and at war with reality which were the last two albums they released mm-hmm. and i felt like that was a good, repren- a good representation of what at the gates is going to continue doing in the future uh since the departure of honors Beolder. Uh, Who's the former guitarist and he's the twin brother of Jonas? Jonas has taken the helm of songwriting and has taken the direction into incorporating more of an orchestral and symphonic elements rather than just the straight
0: melodic death metal. And honestly, I'm kind of here for it. And I definitely, and it will definitely be able to talk about that orchestral piece because you definitely do see that throughout the record. And I made a couple of notes about that here. Um, and I'm kind of a similar way as a very casual listener. Um, I actually really didn't get into them up until probably. 2018, I want to say. And I actually had gotten to see them live. It was Amanomarth, Arch Enemy, and At The Gates. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. And I, so I, I've i known the name of At The Gates since probably about 2013, 2014 with the announcement of their last record, which I believe was At War With Reality. At War With Reality was done in 2014.
1: And then it was uh, the To Drink From The Night itself, uh, which was 2018, 2017, 2018.
0: Okay, so I don't know if I've heard that one. Um, I potentially have, but I believe the other record that I had listened to, to all the way through was um, "Slaughter the Soul." Yep, yeah, yeah that was, uh, uh, which uh, was the 95. one five. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Um, and really, when I listened to the record initially, is it was kind of exactly what I expected with At the Gates, um, with being kind of the mellow death and pretty. You Know kind of a mid tempo, a little bit of the speed, but it also slowed down a little bit. Um, that and, and none of the songs actually really stuck out to me. And I haven't, I've really noticed that throughout everything I've listened to by At the Gates is nothing re- scre- really screams out. Where, like, for example, Lamb of God, that's a band that I kind of find is they're consistently good, and I can kind of compare At the Gates because I look at them the same way. With Lamb of God, is I can pick favorite songs from records, and they also have enough difference in them that I can say, okay, this song is this, this song is this. This band is, it's a little bit harder to do so. And I think they kind of, they kind of find their lane and they kind of stay with it. They kind of fluctuate a little bit just to show that they are able to do different things. And we definitely do, you know, as we dig into this is I was able to find elements that kind of separate them, but it's not enough separation that makes me say, okay, this song is my favorite for this reason or like, this song is this, and this song is this. Like, it it doesn't scream out to me like that.
1: You and I are gonna have very different track-by-track breakdowns. This is going (laughs) to be a
0: hoot. Um, And let's just jump right in, Uh, musical review, uh, which we've actually kind of started with, Um, but it was actually a um, statement that uh, vocalist Tomas Lindbergh had said, and I found this actually in an article with Kerrang, and I don't know if it was just them rehashing the statement that he had made with the announcement of the record, is he said the sound of this record, it still sounds like at the gates, 100%. It's just more of everything. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> that that <laughs> statement, I mean, that statement could not have hit the nail any better on the head. Um, we see a lot of the same elements that these guys have been known for the last almost 30 years now, which is a little bit weird to think about I like because that. I think their first ever release, if I remember correctly, was in 1992. Now tangent really quick. I went to the At the Gates website to try and confirm the 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 members of the band. Well, I went and they have a little link for bio, so I clicked the bio. You wanna know where it took me? Where did it take you? It took me to their Wikipedia page. <laughs> so they have a lot of faith in that Wikipedia <laughs> page, man. Um So I'm like, okay, so I don't know if, like, they just have kind of a hand in making sure that everything is legit, Um, but I thought I got a a good little kick out of that. Their first release, if I remember right, was 1992. Um, Oh, (laughs) Yeah. So that's the thing. Um, So, you know, just a reminder that we're old. Um, We see a lot of melodic death metal riffage, um, which we may reference as mellow death throughout the the Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, And you may kind of hear that um, just in kind of metal talking um, just in general. But we also see the times throughout the record where... It's a lot less of that riffage, and as you alluded to before, is we see a lot more of the melodic side, and we start seeing that orchestral influence that um, they're definitely wanting to to bring in. And it it also gives you an opportunity to breathe, and it's not just a straight blitzkrieg.
1: Yeah, so... <clears throat> on my side of things i felt like this album was musically really cool mm-hmm. um, each song had its own unique flavor that was still like 100 at the gates but it was still incorporating different elements that the the band hadn't necessarily delved into before the symphonic and orchestral additions added to the melodic nature of the songs rather than the dissonance they're normally brought in to br- brought to bring in metal mm-hmm. and that was a nice change um, the guitars are consistently with, uh, with at the gates and with S- Swedish death metal. And it never felt like it was abrasive or uncomfortable to listen to.
0: Yeah. And, and it was definitely a, a very easy listen. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is, I think just because, and, and this is completely me speaking opinion wise, is because it just kind of felt like a lot of the same, even though, again, there were the departures. And, you know, again, we will make sure to dig into that much more uh, once we get to the track by track is I, I found myself getting bored. Um, I remember it's honestly one of the places I get a chance to listen to music as much as I do is at work. And just having the one earbud in and just like having it low enough and I, I can't really focus on it mm-hmm. is I found myself coming in and out too much and I, I kind of losing place in the record. Um, And then even when I was trying to give it some attention is I almost just was like, I'm going to go listen to something else and kind of come back. And just because I, I don't know if it's, it's just because, you know, and, and this isn't a knock on the band because they are extremely talented musicians. I really like the material that they have put out and that I have heard there again, they are consistently good and it will continue to do so. And especially with evolution is they're just going to continue getting better. It's just because it feels like a lot of just the same Thing song after song is i kind of had to break off and listen to something else to kind of get get like a a refresher uh, or at least just listen to something else even just briefly Um, or i just kind of would just pause it look at memes for 10 minutes and then come back like i'm i mean i'm sorry but that's kind of just what happened man so i think i have an explanation for why this is okay matt you're a core kid
1: where is the lie? <laughs> Hold on, let me, let
0: me just flip my hair out of my eyes.
1: <laughs> I'm going to need you to, to lower your skinny jeans here. <laughs> Give us a second, because um, these guys are death metal master f- masters. Oh yeah, uh, well, and like but he- not death core masters. And, and I have that. So we'll we'll just jump into the lyrical impressions here, because I actually have a little bit on that. Um, mm-hmm. Lyrically, like this is a death metal album through and through. Yeah. Um, and obviously, aside from musically, there's the the other big difference between death metal and death core is the lyrical content. So yeah. death core is often more violent and grotesque well death metal is usually more pessimistic and nihilistic and this album is literally conceptually about pessimism and the the concept of it mm-hmm. and so like i feel like it's just about as death metal as it can get right and i feel like that's where so m- musically speaking like that's where you're kind of losing it is because it's not core it's not breakdowns and blast beats and stuff like that it's blast
0: beats. Da, 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 da. <laughs>
1: <laughs> precisely yeah. it's not that it, 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 it's just straight death metal from like mm. what it is so uh which i was always a huge fan of growing up so like That's bands fair. like morbid angel death uh mm. skeleton witch those kind of guys like all of those were really uh big influences for me and i feel like that was something that you had bypassed slightly, not saying that you didn't listen and, and, and to them. And, th- but and there was. is
0: there is some truth to that. Like I really, you know, I I very slowly kind of been getting into some death metal. So like death being one of the bands that I've been kind of kind of jumping into, but I haven't really fully gone headfirst into. Um, so th- there is an aspect of that, as I just haven't fully um, immersed myself into it. Um, and y- honestly, you, the, the pessimism piece, you hit right on the head. Um, so that same article through Kering, um, where uh, Tomas Lindbergh was uh, teasing the record, the overall theme deals with the topic of pessimism. Um, and uh, let, m- let me start that over. Quote, the overall theme deals with the topic of pessimism, and I have been de- diving deep down in pessimistic philosophers trying to understand this way of looking at the world it is not a negative album more a gateway into new ideas for me personally trying out different perspectives you can call the album an introduction to pessimism as a content excuse me pessimism as a concept i guess it is a very dark album but not negative uh end quote um and again like you just said is it's very much a pessimistic album um, and it's when I was reading through is I found there were a lot of references to hell because death metal and then there were num- numerous references to darkness because metal death metal part two um like it, it just felt like very much a you know and some of the things themes is you could almost say are death metal tropes, but the way that he was able to enunciate and kind of Mm -hmm. tell these stories, it was almost as if with the words is he was painting a picture and it was like, it was an oddly specific ways that that he was trying to paint this picture. Um, One of the lines I have here was quiet black basalt pools bore into the rocks from cosmic pessimists. Yeah. And well, and one of the things too um,
1: lyrically about this album is instead of it just being tropes and, um, stereotypes from mm-hmm. death metal where it is just a pessimistic writing it's mm-hmm. really actually about pessimism yeah. and, and, and it's about the philosophy of it rather right. than just the conceptual nature of it and I feel like that's something that this uniquely stands out against those other ones for is yeah. because this is actually about the concept of it is it, it isn't just writing and writing down things to be down mm-hmm. but it's really actually like trying to dig deeper into this kind of stuff and begin exploring avenues of the philosophy that most people leave untouched because of the, the negative nature that most people see in it. And uh, so I I feel like that's something that the album here uniquely does. And it's definitely something that turned my eyes open to it It Mm -hmm. turned my eyes open that opened my eyes to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So before we uh, jump into the track by track breakdown, let's go ahead and uh, discuss the album artwork. So the album showcases a very Renaissance slash surrealism style artwork showcasing a group of hooded and robed figures on the left side of what appears to be a lake. And then the other side showing some sort of fire or decimation. And, um, I feel like it really fits the title of the album really well. Uh, the nightmare of being as it gives the listener something to think upon rather than just being blatantly in front of you. And I feel like it really showcases the sound of the album as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the, and I don't know if you caught it, but it looked like above those hooded individuals is there was that kind of weird, almost demonic Mm -hmm. looking creature. Um, the note that I have here just, you know, it kind of as jokingly is this album screams death metals. Um, and it's like if you look at the uh, the colors of it, it's red, gray and orange and different shades of each. And I was like, if I don't know if I've seen anything that screams more death metal than this and just <laughs> kind of laughing to myself. But I, I can definitely agree with that. And because over where the fire is, is you could almost take it as like you can almost look at it as like a city being burned down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also looks almost as if the, the, the hooded individuals are kind of looking on it and almost like a, like, Oh, that's, that's our hometown that's burned. And like, you, um, you know, you could kind of start trying to, to break apart what it could be that they're you know looking upon. Is it something that they set on fire? Is it something that they escaped from? You know, a lot of different things that I thought it was a really good way to, um, kind of set some of the stage for what, what's to come with this record. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But uh, that'll take care of the overall album review. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into the track
1: by track. Uh, starting off, we have the song Spectre of Extinction. Matt, how'd you feel on this one?
0: So one of the things we talk about, um, and we, we like to really set, and I think just anybody really when they listen to a record, is the first song should be able to get your attention. It should also be able to set the tone for the record. Um, and this does exactly that. Um, the weird thing about this one is I remember listening to it, and over the course of the first, I believe it was almost minute, minute and a half, is I thought it was like you listen to the song and then a minute and a half. I thought it was a completely different song. I thought it was two, but then when I actually listened to it and paid a little bit more to attention, I was like, oh, this is still the same song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the, the way it starts off with the... A guitar without the distortion, the rest of the instrumentals come in. Um, and then we see at the gates show off what at the gates is able to do. And you know, this is where we start to see a little bit of the evolution. It's a little bit less of the death metal and we're starting to see more of the melodic kind of show up.
1: Yeah. So they open up with like a lot more of like a, a classical or an acoustic guitar. Yep. Um, and then they like bring into these really giant open, like Judas priest, priest esque kind of chords. Mm-hmm. Um, before they like break it down into that classic Swedish death metal that we all love. And honestly, on this song, the chorus is super catchy, which is weird to say for a death metal song. Um, But yeah, it it was a super catchy song. I find this one being kind of just like on my mind the most. It's not my favorite song on the album. I'll get to that in a bit. Um, But I I definitely really do like this song. And um, lyrically, it's discussing about how humans are really the only ones who are able to recognize their own mortality. Mm -hmm. And it begins setting up the building blocks of how they begin breaking down the rest of this, the the rest of the album lyrically as well as musically
0: okay yeah i didn't realize that that was the um kind of the inspiration behind it but yeah i'll um, be
1: referencing uh, an interview that uh tomas did with apple music uh, oh, quite a cool. bit okay um he
0: basically did a a track by track breakdown with them as well so i'll be referencing that quite a bit here as oh, well that's awesome yeah no that's gonna be awesome but yeah no this one it's definitely a strong opener It again sets the tone for what to expect and um, I'm really in for it. Um, and next up, we have The Paradox. And, dude, that opening riff is just straight so death. Good. It's so, I really was a big fan of that. Um, the cool thing about this one, too, is it's kind of a faster song. And it really doesn't pull off the gas. Mm-hmm. It pulls off a little bit towards the end um and the cool thing too is the solo on it isn't overly technical but it, it still allows the the uh the guitar solo almost sing a little bit
1: yeah so the the solos on this album in general are just very um they're written to the song mm-hmm. instead of just being fast and sh- and flashy and showy like yeah. oftentimes we see like they're very well catered to the songs and i really appreciate that because as a guitarist like it's one of the best things that you can do is learn how to hold back Mm -hmm. and if you do that then it can help cater to the song it it, the the old adage less is more is very real and i feel like they really are able to showcase that with the guitar solos like they there's still moments in here where it doesn't detract from the song but at the same time it still it shows off what they're capable of doing exactly but they don't do it every single time yeah and I, i really appreciate that um also with this one here, uh, in that uh, Apple Music interview with Tomas, he said that whenever they're writing songs, they're writing them with the uh, placement on the album in mind. So like Spectre of Extinction, they wrote that song planning for it to be an opener, so they wrote it musically to co- coincide with that. Right. This is the only song that didn't end up doing that. This song was actually supposed to appear later in the record, and wow. the the producer, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, uh, unfortunately, but he basically said that... That this song was too much of a banger, it needed to be up closer to the front of the album, and so this song was originally supposed to be, I want to say, like track seven or something like that. Okay. Um, with, uh, the abstract enthroned, so a uh, track eight. Okay. Uh, so they they were supposed to be swapped, and this is the um the only time that we see that on this record outside of obviously the abstract enthroned. That's um, interesting. Okay. Where they didn't write it with this particular track number in mind.
0: Right. So I I thought that was kind
1: of cool. It's not something that we commonly see artists do. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they write the songs and then they can make their placement out from there beyond, yeah. Um, whereas this one here, they actually write the songs so they flow together with other songs that they've already written for those particular track placements, and we actually see that a little bit later on here, and I'll point those out. Okay. Um, but it's it's just a really neat writing concept that I don't hear too often. No, and I, it, I really it, appreciate it.
0: it. Yeah, it, based on you know the the knowledge that I have, kind of of the inner workings workings, as that sounds about right, is it's just not something that they typically do, and I think what ends up happening in Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I, I can't remember who it was that I had heard the kind of information from. I think it was kind of a behind the scenes of a, uh, like a behind the scenes of a release of an album. Is the band had kind of said, yeah, we you know write all the, the all the different songs. We kind of just collect a bunch of them that we like. We send them to the label. They pretty much say, okay, these are the ones you guys are going to release, and then that's kind of it. Um, And I don't think, you know, there was never really any talks of, okay, this is where this is going to be placed and kind of that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. that is interesting.
1: That can sometimes be the case. It depends on the interaction and the relationship with the label. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're a band of this size and kind of just clout the label's gonna give you a lot more leeway on it than if you're just a brand new signed band because they obviously don't want you making decisions that are gonna negatively impact them financially Mm -hmm. because all in all, they're just there to make money. They don't don't care about the music. They just care about the cash that it brings in. Uh, and, And so... Newer artists aren't going to necessarily have that same unless they're indie releasing. Mm-hmm. Um, with this one, Century Media, I've never really heard any bad issues or, or uh, complaints with them in that regard. Right. Okay. So I feel like that's the case here with them.
0: Yeah, and that would make sense, especially. I mean, the band's been around almost thirty years, yeah. so they've got they've got a bit of a following. Yeah. Up next, we do have the title track, "The Nightmare of Being." Gabe, hit me with it. So. Being the title track
1: of the album, you always want this song to stand out. Mm-hmm. This one is a slower song, but the weight is definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, the the chorus lyrics, um, the parasite of subconscious, excuse me, the parasites of the subconscious are perception from the arc of the skull, the indifference eliminated, and to nothingness we will return. was super cool. Like the way that it was vocally phrased as well as obviously just lyrically, it's super metal. Right. Um, and it's also super indicative of what the song is about. And the this is where you begin seeing more of the element of the, the concept of pessimism being introduced. So this w- song really was about the constant war with our own sub- subconscious, mm-hmm. where our subconscious has these built-in defense mechanisms that are designed to help keep us sane. Yeah. And the more we begin to recognize our own mortality and recognize our own like reality with our situations, the more and more those defenses have to be activated to keep us from just falling into the state of madness. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that that's something that this song specifically is is really about and then the ending breakdown of the song is just super heavy and I love it
0: <laughs> yeah this and this is the um you know this is kind of where I, I made the the first real note of the the fluctuations in sound um to kind of you know allowing the the sound to really kind of show and again see the, the evolution um I do like the spoken word aspect at the beginning. And it almost adds like that spooky atmosphere mm-hmm. to the song. And it just kind of added that little bit of extra. Um, and I think that was one of those things when I, I, once I actually sat down and fully listened to the record, I was like, this, I'm actually really for this. Like, this is a really cool thing that they introduced into mm-hmm. the sound. Um, so I'm definitely for it. Absolutely. Uh, then it moves into the the song "The Garden of Cyrus." Mm-hmm. This song is super weird. <laughs> I, dude, honestly, I thought this was an instrumental the first time I heard it, and for the, mo- the for the
1: most part, the song is like there's mm-hmm. very little of the song that's actually lyrically based. Yeah. And that part of it, it's over and about in a minute.
0: Yeah, and and the weird thing with it is, I don't know if I like or hate the vocals on it, I, and it, it's almost like. I like that it adds the, the a little bit extra to the song, but I almost wonder what the song would have been like if the vocals hadn't been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the thing here is, um, unlike Born of Osiris, the song actually makes the saxophone work. <laughs>
1: yeah, so the saxophone is played by Anders Gabrielson, um, and even Tomas in his interview with uh, Apple Music was just like, yeah, and here we have the dreaded saxophone in metal music, and we think it works, so here you go. <laughs>
0: that's awesome
1: but yeah um this song starts out in uh, a seven eight time signature oh, crap. and part of me likes it part of me thinks you try hards why did you do this <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's just a very weird time signature to write in and uh it works for the song absolutely it does it's just it's kind of one of those weird things that like as you begin listening to it it's just like oh that. I can't headbang to this like normal. I can't groove with okay, that's why and and you finally like, find yourself in that groove, but it yeah. takes a minute to get there. Um yeah, th- th- it's th- for me on this one, I like that they tried the song on the album and it's not really for me, but it shows a neat element of experimentation and mm. I like elements of it. I just don't really like the song as a whole personally.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's, I can understand that. Um, I definitely, you know, again, the, the saxophone work was, I really dug that. And, um, you know, some bands are able to make the saxophone work in metal. Port um, of Osiris is not one of them, but At the Gates and <laughs> Rivers of Nile are a couple of examples that of bands that can do it. Tesseract so. can do it too. I actually uh, have not really dug into Tesseract, so that sounds like a band I'm going to need to dig into. Absolutely. Um, Before we get too far off on a tangent, let's jump into the next one, which is Touched by the White Hands of Death. I Uh, love the orchestral intro into this song. Oh, my God, I love it. (laughs) I so I, when I was li- sitting there listening to it, I was like, so I guess we're I guess we're in a play now. Like, are we? You know, it. The the note I have here is the first almost minute of the song sounds like a stage production trying to set a very dark and drear mood for probably a tragic death sequence. So,
1: as I mentioned before, the, the this is one of those instances where they wrote the songs so they can bridge together appropriately. Yeah. So when they had written. Garden of Cyrus for track four. Mm -hmm. They wrote this for track five. And instead of having the what what ends up being a flute line, Mm -hmm. um, instead of having that played by a guitar, the emotion isn't going to be able to be felt the same because it's just a completely different sound at that point. So they introduced the orchestral elements in that regard to bridge it back and create that emotional connection between the two Mm -hmm. before they lead into Touch by the White Hands of Death. Okay, And so it wasn't really... While it's a part of the song, it's really meant almost like as a, like what a thirty second skit filler would be in a rap album. Okay, to kind of differentiate the songs but still keep them together. Th- that's what basically this orchestral part of here is doing. Interesting. Okay, and so it's helping bridge the na- the nature of this being a concept album, mm-hmm. while the album still not being a full on concept album. If that makes sense. Like yeah. The the, the album re- revolves around an entire uh, idea as a concept, mm-hmm. but isn't like telling a story,
0: per se. So, the Space EP by The Devil Wears Prada. Yes, but this is done right. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it. I saw the the shift in your face, and I was like, this is what I want.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but this one, Tomas' voice isn't blown out, and the instrumentals are actually good and mixed properly. I'll die on this hill, Matt, and I've said this before.
0: (laughs) 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 Um... Wow, I've got I'm trying to <laughs> trying to process
1: my thoughts, but um, so for me on this one, a lot of the main riffs sound a lot like Immortal by Dream Evil, which mm-hmm. is just kind of like your standard uh, uh power metal song, really. Okay, um, it's a cool song. I really recommend it. It's uh, I heard
0: it on Skate Three, and that's how I know the song. <laughs> so the thing with it's the one of the notes I have here with touched by the white hands of death is. With this song is because it kind of falls into, um, at least after the orchestral pieces, it kind of falls into kind of the same tempo and kind of sound that I've I've known to or I have come to know with at the gates. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be, I, it sounds like I might actually be an even more casual listener than you are with them. Oh, for sure. Um, so I was kind of listening to it and I was thinking like. I could probably take this song and just kind of pick it out and put it into one of their older records and it would fit in just right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so very much, you know, and it's, the band shows off what they're able to do and they are able to do it well. Um, and I, I'm just not really seeing anything new, um, at least for them, uh, again, outside of the orchestral piece and then the, um, uh, slower sections in the last minute or minute and a half mm-hmm. of the song. Um, nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. The
1: last thing I have on this one is um, lyrically, this song is similar to Spectre of Extinction mm-hmm. and where it's again, addressing the recognition of our own mortality. Um, but then this one's also introducing the element of the subconscious defenses and uh, uh, that were introduced in nightmare of being and uh, that those subconscious defenses being attacked by these realizations. Okay. This album has got me very interested in
0: this actual ideology of pessimism. Yeah, (laughs) and you know, it it honestly kind of you know, and especially like the the Karang, the article that I had read where um, Tomas was um, diving deep down in pessimistic philosophers. Is you almost wonder who he was digging like deep diving into and just kind of i've got a few of them (laughs) really (laughs) yep, solid that's awesome um next up we have the fall into time and this is stage production part two um (laughs) but there were there are a little bit of vocals on top to add a little bit of extra a little extra spice to the orchestral pieces so it's not just orchestra and then at the gate song it's like orchestral with at the gates kind of showing up in it as mm-hmm. well
1: yeah I wasn't really able to connect with this song for some reason mm-hmm. uh, the instruments and lyrics were cool for it it just I don't know I, I never felt like it was able to ring through for me unfortunately mm-hmm. um, the riffing through the song was super cool and mm-hmm. a little different from the rest of the album but like it was always brought back with the regular riffing style that we're used to hearing from at the gates yeah outside of that like I just I don't know what it is about this
0: song it just I can't really vibe with it too much so I can't say that I vibed with it either. Um, I think this is the longest song on the record. Um, and it's only a 10-song record. And I think it's only it only tops out about 45 minutes for the entire Correct. thing. Um, the weird thing is, even though this is a slower-tempoed song... I could see this song being played live, and mm-hmm. it's the song that you see like the 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 four same guys that are that have been in the pit the entire set, and it's just them walking around in a circle, <laughs> occasionally running into each other, while everybody else is just kind of bobbing their head and um, to this song. Like that's kind of what I imagined with this, and it's almost like a uh, middle of the set kind of everybody just. You know, it takes a little bit of a breather, but we're all still having a good time. Kind of song. That's kind of what the the vibe I got out of this one.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh Then it jumps into the cult of salvation. How you feeling on this one, Matt? Bro, that intro riff is sick, dude. I can't I can't get enough of it. This is my I, favorite song on the record. Really, absolutely, okay. it is.
0: I love this song. <laughs> so I I'm really sad that we didn't see that intro riff a little bit more in the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of hoping like. Because it stopped and it was almost an abrupt stop. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we're going to probably get this in the chorus. And then the chorus happened. I'm like, where's the intro riff? <laughs> and then we just never, I, I just never got it again. I was like, I want this riff. Come on. Yeah. It, it comes back a couple times, but mm-hmm. like, man, I
1: just, I can't get enough of that riff. Yeah. Um, and the, it, the middle part of the song has like a, a goblin esque kind of sound to it, the band mm-hmm. Goblin, um, which was confirmed to be on purpose by Tomas in his Apple music interview. And I just, I, I can't say it enough. I really enjoy this song from beginning to end.
0: Yeah. And the cool thing about this one is especially after the last song, the fall into time is we see a pickup in tempo and overall energy, um, at least compared to the last one, where the last one is a lot slower and kind of, you know, it allows you to groove a little bit. This one, actually we see a little bit more of the, the death metal kind of, kind of come back. Um, but uh, other than that, I really don't have too much to say on that one. Um, that intro riff again is just yeah. Mint. <laughs> so good. Uh, next up. And as you alluded to before the abstract enthroned um, and again, the band picks it up. It picks up the pace on this one. So this is again, this is really leaning even more into kind of what we expect with that. The gates even more so than cult of um, yeah. Cult of salvation. I th- I almost wasn't sure if that was the right name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else are you just thinking, man?
1: Yeah, so this one gives off a really strong Morbid Angel vibe to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like it. I'm, I'm really here for it. The guitar solo, again, feels like it's just crafted for the song and rather than just being fast for speed's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the post solo breakdown into the next verse
0: was just ruthless, and I fell in love with it. Yeah. And the nice thing, too, is like this is more along the lines of like the, the, what would be typically your onslaught of sound that death metal brings, but it's given a lot more time to be melodic. It doesn't, it doesn't go full just death metal, but Mm -hmm. it's just like death
1: metal. Well, yeah. And so this is where, um, I I know I can't say this is where, but like, this is a a good opportunity to kind of discuss. There's different versions of death metal. Mm -hmm. So at the gates, uh, they're Swedish death metal, but they um, are often referred to as Gothenburg death metal. Okay. Whereas opposed to um, like a, a lot of uh, Nordic or, or Finnick uh, death metal, they're going to be a little bit more kind of akin to what black metal is, even though like they still follow those mellow yeah. death lines and they're not going to be quite what black metal is. Um, but they're, there's a differentiation there. And then you have like American death metal, which is going to be more akin to something like cannibal corpse or mm-hmm. uh, something along those lines. So um we're not going to see a lot of those really big chuggy napalm death kind of stuff going on with this stuff or sorry, not napalm death. Wow. (laughs) 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 Cannibal corpse. I'm I'm thinking of the uh, Jim Carrey interview when he's talking about napalm death, but then Jim Carrey is in right uh, in Ace Ventura Ventura. with with cannibal corpse. So that's where that disconnect came from. But um, so we're not going to see a lot of those kind of like same chugs and like just guttural vocals kind Mm -hmm. of stuff because it's, more of that Gothenburg
0: mellow death kind of stuff. Well, and I, I think when, when you hear death metal and I think part, and it might partly be because of Ace Ventura mm-hmm. is typically when a lot of people that aren't really in the death metal scene is they hear death metal and they're thinking cannibal course. And there's that wall of sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're, like, you know, when I was kind of looking at it um, because it's, because of the, the kind of pickup and tempo and it's just, it was a lot more of the, the heavier side of it mm-hmm. is like that was pushed forward. So you kinda of, kind of a clarification on my side, but um I hadn't realized that the, the death metal had gone even that further into specification at oh least yeah even like, like Swedish death.
1: Yeah, like it, it- Talking to uh, about death metal to, to somebody who's very into death metal is like talking to an entomologist about an ant. If you just say an ant, they're going to go on some sort of tangent. Right. About what kind of ant and what kind of subgenus of an ant and all, all that kind of stuff. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. It, it's just one of those things where like everybody's going to have an expert in some sort of field. And unfortunately, mine just happens to be this because I can't make any money off of this. <laughs> um, for, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So from there, we jump into this song, Cosmic Pessimism. Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell me your thoughts? Because I I have a lot to say on this one, but I want to hear your thoughts first.
0: Okay, and my my notes here aren't super crazy. Um, I really like... This is really cool because of how much more that they do the spoken word, but the song is not entirely a spoken word piece. Um, This really... um, This fits really, really well on the album, But in a way, I almost felt as if this song came out a record too early. Um, But like this is this is probably the best indication of evolution being done right, Um, because like where the other songs, I had said the evolution. You know, we see the evolution of the band. We start to kind of see them kind of leaning into. Um, the the Gothenburg and the like, the melodic aspects of it, and it's it's a lot less of the the fast riffage and um, stuff from the, a little bit of their earlier material. Is we we see them really departing? Um, well, I can't even say really departing, but. Moving into this different direction, Um, and I think that's that's really where I'm like, this is cool because they're experiment, they're really experimenting, they're really doing something different, and that really stuck out for me on this song. So, you're
1: half right on most of what you said there. Okay. Um, so this isn't really a new direction to taking it. This is going to be a song that is kind of like more of a one-off, kind of similar to what Garden of Cyrus was. Like mm-hmm. they're going to introduce elements of it still like the rest of the album has. Right. Um, but this song is going to be specifically unique. Uh, and for the reason that obviously that, as we've mentioned before, that this album is really a concept album around the idea and the philosophy of pessimism. Right. In doing so, when uh, Tomas and, uh, and, and, and Joh- Jonas were doing their research and their discussions on this album, Tomás reached out to an author that he was uh, was reading into, a modern author at the time. Uh, that author's name is uh, Eugene Thacker. And he asked him if he was able to work with him in some sort of way in incorporating something of his into this. Mm. And so the song title Cosmic Pessimism is a title of a book by Eugene Thacker. Really? And the spoken words part of this song is excerpts from that book on the, on the philosophy of... Of pessimism. Oh, that's cool. And so that that's where like this song is unique in that regard, and it's really cool for the album conceptually. I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan of the song itself, um, just like listening to it, but like diving into the uh, the the semantics of it, like it, it's a really cool concept, and I really appreciate that they inc- that they included this song into the album.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really really cool thing. So that's what I have on that one. <laughs> that's cool. That's no, like that honestly, like that's just rad. And the last one that we're we have on this record is Eternal Winter of Reason. Gabe. This song is a banger of a closer. This this is so in the it, it's the cool thing about this song is we're typically and, and especially in metal bands is the last song is they like to go just balls to the wall. This is not that case. And no, it I is really. Not. And I really appreciated that because that was, that's what I expected. Being a, a fan of metal is I'm expecting like, Oh dude, these guys are going to go hard, but they really leaned again, more on that melodic side of the mellow death sound. Um, yeah, so
1: the cool thing about this one is um, after, like, multiple listens, you'll recognize that the only riff that's repeated throughout the entire song is mm-hmm. the chorus riff. Everything else is just its own separate riff. Like, it, it doesn't ever appear again in the song. I and didn't, right? Reckon- so okay. Tomás and, and Jonas said that this was very intentional and that this song is really meant as a reflective song to address what you've learned emotionally from the overall concept of the album. Interesting, and so it's okay. it's designed to just allow you to kind of, think in and, and reflect on it like like I said it's not really just like a all in your face final metal song yeah. on the album like it's very much it's a great song yeah. hands down but like it's still like a very reflective kind of song to mm-hmm. it without slowing the album down and uh, he, he said for himself and bassist uh, Jonas that they really just wanted to force the emotion from the song on themselves uh, to close on the conceptual nature so the listener can feel that and I honestly feel like that they managed to
0: capitalize on that really well. Yeah, no I that's actually a really really cool reason to uh, kind of have the have the closer be that way and you know, as opposed to again the almost trope of just let's go hard for the last song well and, and
1: the the cool thing is too like their goal with this album, at least for me, was achieved. Like mm-hmm I honestly didn't know that the I, the ideology of pessimism was an actual philosophy mm-hmm. until I started digging into this album. Yeah. And so it, it's one of those things where I always thought it's just, no, that's just kind of like a, just a mentality. Like you can be a pessimist or you can be an uh, optimist or right. you can be a realist. And, I didn't realize that there was more to the philosophy behind that and that like makes me want to learn a little
0: bit more about it. On, and to be completely honest, I'm kind of in a, like, and especially because you were able to get that information and I, I hadn't had a chance to really get that kind of deep dive into. Um, is It's almost something that I'd be interested in learning about too, even if it's just like a, uh, a surface level look into it just to kind of mm-hmm. have a, a little bit of an understanding of kind of what, what's going on. You heard it here first folks. Let's be pessimists.
1: pessimists.
0: <laughs> uh, but that's all I've got for the song. Do you have anything yeah. further? I, I, the really cool thing was the last few seconds of it. where it was that really, really light close? And I, I can't put my finger on, what the sound was but it was like it was an almost ethereal Mm. sound for the last i think it was like 10 seconds and just the having that to close out the record it was kind of beautiful really yeah um so i'm all for it um but that's gonna be it for our track by track breakdown of the new record by at the gates again titled the nightmare of being um, and what right now what we like to do is give our tentacle rating so out of a scale of from a scale of one to eight tentacles we rate the record on what we think Gabe what's your rating uh, I'm gonna go with I think
1: I'm gonna go with a six out of eight on this
0: one really
1: I, I like I said I really like this album mm-hmm. it's it was a lot of fun it forced me to think introspectively it gave me new insight on kind of what I want to explore next. And yeah. in this case, obviously the concept of pessimism, like it's just an interesting concept that I'll kind of want to learn a little bit more about. Cause why wouldn't I want to broaden, broaden my horizons yeah. with that? And just over, like there was some really catchy songs on here, which is really hard to do for mellow death metal. Yeah. And I, I, I really appreciate that from them. So th- this is absolutely an album that I'm going to be returning to. Okay. And I, I am very happy with the, with the way that this was released. Okay. How about you? So uh, this is where I come over the table.
0: This I, I think I think this is where um, Gabe turns to the same color as the red of the Coke can sitting near him. Um, <laughs> I'm giving it a three out of eight.
1: Oh, boy. You better if you're going to come. <laughs> you better come. correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so and uh, as I've said before, is I've only come recently into listening to this band. And it, it's a very, very casual um, uh, listener. Um, unfortunately is from kind of, uh, over the top kind of listening, if it's not, you know, if I, I'm not like fully invested in listening to it, which I'm typically not with everything I listen to, especially if I just have it on as background music at work, um, it just kind of blends together a little bit too much. Um, will it be something I return to? Yes. Um, and it's part because this band is consistently good. Um, and because of the respect I have for them as musicians and really like just listening to their riff style is you can see their influence even on metalcore, which is, you know, I guess my, my just go to thing. Um, it's just not going to be one of those records that I just am like, I'm going to return to the, like, constantly return to. I will return to it. It's just not a, oh, I'm going to this all the time. But with the additional kind of insight that you would provide it is it gives it a little bit of extra weight where it's like, okay, I can, I might just leave this one to stew a little bit and then come back and just revisit just to kind of, kind of find a new um, kind of understanding and kind of appreciation for it. <sighs>
1: So in our ongoing search for a, uh, a podcast host, for a new co-host <laughs> to replace Matt, I'm going to also have to write on there. Please don't be a poser. Please you metalcore kit.
0: <laughs>
1: no, I, I understand. Yeah. I disagree with you, but I understand.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. But uh, that is going to do it for at the gates of the nightmare of being. Um, before we finish off the cast here today, we do want to talk about the hidden track, which is where we discuss something in the music world outside of this album. Um, Before we get into our individual ones, I want to address one that we haven't gotten to touch because we haven't recorded in a few weeks, and we record ahead a little bit. The new Trivium song.
0: Okay, so before you continue, that's my hidden track, too. (laughs) Because honestly... All right, let's jump into your hidden track. Yeah, Yeah, we got to hit this. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) So... It was right after we recorded. I think it was the "Born of Osiris" episode. Is it had just dropped, and the two. I remember the two of us were like, "Oh boy, yeah, oh boy, oh, man, And it, we that- just sat there, and <sighs> dude, we real. We kind of see. Uh, this might be at least in the last couple of records. Is this might be the heaviest song Trivium's done. Um, At least over the last maybe two albums.
1: So after What the Dead Men Say, I didn't know where Trivium was going to go after that. Because What the Dead Men Say, honestly, was a perfect album for me. I uh, so good. I love that album to Mm -hmm. death. I, I did not know that it could possibly be topped in any way. Yeah. They topped the crap out of it with this song. Yeah, <laughs> this song. So the, this, the song's called In the Court of the Dragon, um, and it's, gonna, it's the most recent signal, single that they have released. Uh, it's the first new music that we've heard from them since the release of uh, What the Dead Men Say back in...
0: Uh, April 24th of 2020 through Roadrunner, um, and it was Josh Wilbur was the producer.
1: Okay, yeah, so the, the the first new music that we've heard and. Uh, A little over a year, Mm -hmm. which I guess is pretty fast. But that being said, um, Matt, who is very into his uh, streaming setup Mm -hmm. uh, on Twitch, he's said that because they haven't been able to be touring, they've been writing new music. Yep. And, and it's going to be clear, angrier, and it's going to be heavier, and they delivered. They, they
0: deliver. <laughs> um, and then just to clarify for those who don't know, Matt Heafy, um, is the vocalist and I believe rhythm guitarist for the band. I mean, they
1: both kind of play lead. Yeah,
0: they do kind of play, but yes, um, vocalist and guitar player for um Trivium. Just for those who may not have known. Um, but the, Matt has also, yeah, because he has also said like they're looking to probably put new music out, like probably a full album at the end of, by about the end of this year,
1: which I am here for.
0: Honestly, <laughs> because you've kind of sucked me down the Trivium rabbit hole, I am for it too. And I think I actually just recently got what the Dead Men Say on vinyl, and there like you go.
1: this record's so good. It's it, it's like I said, it's one of my favorite records of all time. Mm-hmm. Like it is such a good record. It's fantastic. When Thank they you. release what uh, the the sin of the sentence i didn't know if they could top it they released what the dead men say i didn't i don't know if they can top it yeah. and now i'm hoping that they're going to top it again because yeah. obviously i want them to do amazing but yeah um yeah the the riffing in this song is just
0: it's stupid gross. It's good oh so good <laughs> and, and and what's cool is because most of the song is so much he- so just heavy and then Matt comes in with the the cleans and a, a couple of sections in the song. And with certain bands is them trying to f- fit in the clean choruses over a song that's this heavy is they'd sit there, they'd fall on their face. Trivium does it just really, really well. And it fits the song that mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's forced in. It, it feels very cohesive with the rest of the song. And, Dude, the solo work, man. Of course.
1: (laughs) Matt and and Cory Bolio, the uh, other guitarist, those two guys are the reason that I recognize that I will never be an amazing guitarist because they will always just beat the crap out of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're the, they're the, the school bullies that take your lunch money. Like <laughs> exactly. You ain't going to be good at guitar. You're not going to be good at guitar. <laughs> um, the
1: the last thing that I really have to note before I just keep on going on and on and on about how much I love this song. Kind of like me um, and Courtney LaPlante? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Call back to an old joke. Uh, yeah. um, so when Trivium brought in Alex Bent uh on drums who's is the current drummer he was originally playing in Battlecross they brought him in before they released The Sentence the Sentence mm-hmm. and prior to this the Trivium has always had like a cycling through of drummers uh the main three guys have stayed fairly consistent Corey, Matt and and Paulo on bass mm-hmm. um those three guys have stayed consistent really since uh Ascendancy okay and prior to that it they had a like, It was a small lineup change. It wasn't that big of a deal th- at this point, though. Um, so those three guys have been consistent. Since Ascendancy, though, they've had four different drummers, I believe. Wow. And this time, like it finally feels like they've found it. Because M- Matt has always had this vision for Trivium and what he wants it to grow and wants it to be into. And Alex is finally the drummer that feels like it can fit that. Because he is just Barnum, one of the best modern metal drummers that... People don't seem to know about. Like, no. you drop the name Alex Bent, people don't seem to know who he is unless they are familiar with Trivium. Whereas, if you drop like Joey Jordison or uh, uh,
0: Chris Adler. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. you. God, Chris Adler. Yeah. Or formerly of Lamb of God, I should say. Yeah,
1: formerly now. But like, those kind of guys, like, yeah, people just recognize them automatically as they're amazing metal drummers. Mm. And they don't recognize the fact that, like, Alex Bent is honestly probably able to drum circles around them at this point. Yeah. He is He is such a phenomenal drummer and it's, sh- it's severely showcased throughout this entire song. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's really all I got for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, and it's been, you know, again, because I've, I've been so recently, able, like, li- like only re- really recently deep diving into trivium stuff is I'm able to kind of see the, like, these guys are these guys are pretty good, these guys are pretty good. <laughs> um and i am really excited to see them on the Megadeth death lamb of god tour and um i think you, i had sent you recently but in flames actually got removed i guess due to some like visa stuff mm-hmm. the band replacing him as hate breed and dude i have never been more excited because i finally get to see hate breed that's awesome um, so I'm, I'm super jazzed about that so shows are coming back <laughs>
1: Um, the uh, the thing that I got for the hidden track, I've got two things that I want to bring up. Um, the first, real briefly, is going to be the um, the band A Night in Texas. Uh, so they're a, a deathcore band that's uh, here from the U.S. and they're they, they released a. It's not an EP, but it's not a full length. It's like seven songs or so. Okay. But it's just seven songs of just straight deathcore, and it's Ooh. it is solid. I highly recommend it. Like if you're just like a fan of deathcore in general, like mm-hmm. definitely check it out. The vocals, the production, the guitars, drums, everything about it is just top notch. Yeah. Um, like if I uh, without we're not going to be uh, doing a full breakdown on the podcast, unfortunately, for it because there's so much music coming out lately. There is. Um, but like if I had to give a rating on it, I would easily give it a seven out of eight. Really? It, it is a solid record and a solid offering from them. Um, the first sucks. time I ever discovered them, I discovered them on a split EP with, uh, uh, that they did. It was like two songs from them and two songs from the band Angel Maker. Okay. Um, so that's where I first discovered them. And then they popped up saying that they had a, a new album that they released. And had to check that out. It was super awesome.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, no, that'll be something I'll have to ch- take a look at it myself.
1: Yeah. But the uh, the th- main thing that I really wanted to discuss was the um, the new Fit for a King and August Burns Red collaboration that they did. So both uh, both bands did two songs each, and um, so Fit for a King had two of their songs featuring Jake Lurs, and August Burns Red had two of their songs featuring Ryan uh, Kirby. Ryan Kirby. Mm-hmm. And yo, dude, those 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 were top notch. Yeah, those were those <laughs> were
0: sweet. And so after listening to Guardians of the Path, um, because I, I had a chance to listen to that EP, is I, I found a, a much stronger appreciation for Ryan Kirby as a vocalist mm-hmm. um, in how he ended up going on to the August Burns Red songs, and he seemed to make the, him his own, and j- I really liked how he sounded on them. And then um, after listening to Jake Lurz doing the Fit for a King songs is... It almost shows like how m- good Ryan Kirby is because it felt like something was missing a mm-hmm. little bit with Jake Lurz on it. Um, and you you also get to hear Jake Lurz do clean vocals, which wasn't a huge fan yeah, of. It but wasn't like really I respect I respect the like the experimentation and the trying to mm-hmm. do it. Um, but you see, just be, with the the difference in having both vocalists kind of switch places. The other neat thing, too, is especially on the God of Fire version, um, the Fit for a King song God of Fire that Jake Lurs does, he does Rio's parts, too, mm-hmm. which I thought that was actually really cool because I'm so used to hearing Rio doing that part yeah. and it's not Ryan Kirby doing it. So I thought that was a cool little touch. Yeah, I enjoyed it.
1: and I. I, I... Also, just really enjoyed this um, thing that we've been seeing lately of artists doing extended features on each other's songs. Yeah, I feel like it's a great way to, to while not necessarily putting out full on new music, like mm-hmm. it's a good way to still keep interacting with, uh, w- with your your fan base as well as just kind of like being able to bring in fans of August Burns Red who had never listened mm. to Fit for a King or when they did the same thing with Silent Planet. Yep. Um, I I feel like that's something that bands should be exploring a lot more. And yeah. I'm really excited to see that like bands like Silent Planet, Fit for a King and August Burns Red are really mm. on the forefront of this. I just feel like bands definitely need to explore this side because it's something that hasn't really been seen a lot before. Mm-hmm. Like w- we still see some elements of it and stuff like that with extended features. yeah. But I feel like in this I feel like in this situation, th- th- it was just something so well done mm-hmm. that I want to see more of this from yeah. different artists because I feel like it's just untapped potential yep. that these artists can do. And especially in a time like this where tours are still up in the air uh, with uh, w- with pandemic guidelines for different states and, and things like that. Like This is a way to keep producing Quote unquote new music, yeah, while also being able to collaborate on merch designs. And because, like, we've seen that Silent yep. Planet and uh, and uh, Fit for a King did it. Silent Planet, or uh, sorry, uh, Fit for a King and August Burns Red did it. Uh, Fit for a King and We Came as Romans did it. All, I
0: didn't know that, that's actually kind of cool, yeah. So,
1: like, it, it's super cool. Like, they did a really good job on it. I might be wrong, it might not have been Fit for a King, but somebody did it with We Came as, Romans. yeah,
0: yeah. So, it was Fit for a King. Oh, and we came as Romans? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Let me do this. That's interesting. Okay.
1: I'm pulling up exactly what it was, so I can say that here. Yeah, so um, it was uh, Fit for a King, and we came as Romans did it as well. Uh, We came as Romans reworked Carry the Weight with Ryan Kirby. And uh, Fit for a King reworked Backbreaker with uh, Dave Stevens.
0: That's sweet. So
1: we, we see Fit for a King actually kind of like at the center a lot of this, mm-hmm. um, which I think is super cool. I think it's a really smart move on their part. Yeah. And I would like to see other bands follow suit soon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I honestly, and, um, you know, kind of kind of calling back to um, Rio from Crystal Lake, who did the um, feature originally on God of mm-hmm. Fire, um, is we're seeing him show up a lot on... Um, different features like he was on the kind of the extended feature when uh spirit box did holy roller and they actually featured rio
1: how did i know we worked spirit box into this so, somehow <laughs> somebody will
0: do it um so we're, we're seeing crystal lake starting to really pull up um and i guess that's um i mean i could talk about their new single um which was actually pretty gnarly Um, but you know, we're also starting to see kind of a push for, for the band Crystal Lake as well. Mm -hmm. So, and and it's a good way to market, you know, other bands into your own fan base as well as bringing up now some of the smaller bands that just Mm -hmm. to get them that little bit of extra exposure. Um, It gets them exposure. It gets those, it
1: gets your fans involved in them, but it gets their fans involved in you. And I feel like it's just mutually beneficial for everybody Mm -hmm. involved, which is why I'm such a huge proponent for features on music. A it adds in an element that's that's different like that's always a good idea like when um we, we actually we saw this um, with uh, hypa hypa by Eskimo Cowboy we that saw them hilarious. do the bit with uh, we butter the bread with butter yep and so like that that's just another example of that like I hadn't listened to we butter the bread with butter since probably two thousand eight and that made me go listen to their new single again. Yeah, and so it's it's just mutually beneficial for both parties, and I feel like this is just I, I know I've said this before, but it's untapped potential that these artists have, and we need to see more of it, and I'm here for it. <laughs> yep, no, I'm for
0: sure. Um, and then I guess uh, just on the t- tangent, um, the new single by Crystal Lake Curse heavy heavy it's disgusting yes, it's so and honestly good. even the kind of clean section was actually kind of a cool little touch to it so um th- that's just a band that I've heard little bits of that I'm just I' they they've put out really cool stuff before um and I I just planned it to, to go back to it so, and it's a band I definitely want to dig into more. Absolutely. Um,
1: uh, some other notable things that we're not really going to deep dive into here before we close out. Um, Ascent Like Wolves released their instrumental version of Mystic Auras, which was really good. There was uh, th- the new Memphis May Fire single that released that was actually pretty solid as well. Which it was I'm, a Death Inside, right? Yes, that's yeah. correct, which is strangely good. And yeah. Like they're, they're coming back heavy again, so I'm, 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 I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also want to touch on the, uh, the new single uh, New Low by Nightlife, Uh, which is like this weird soul version mixed with the gent. And it's super awesome. I highly recommend checking it out. We Mm -hmm. threw it up on our Facebook page. uh, So I definitely recommend heading over there and uh, checking that out. But with that, we are going to go ahead and bring the show to a close. Please uh, like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, on, uh, on Spotify, on Amazon, Podbean, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. We do also have a variety of social medias. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We are on TikTok, and we are on YouTube, all at Bop. We don't do Twitter because Twitter is icky. Twitter is big gross. And uh, that's really all we've got. So we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us, and we will see you later.
0: Catch you in the next one.